0: From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. When Afghanistan fell back under Taliban control earlier this year, the Australian government announced it would evacuate over 4,000 people seeking to flee the country. Most of them arrived in cities in the middle of COVID-19 outbreaks and lockdowns. Unsure about what happens next, and how to navigate their lives in a new and unfamiliar country. But despite being promised safety here, some are concerned that they could be sent back to the country that they fled. Today, 7am producer Anu Hasbold, on one refugee's journey from Afghanistan to Australia, and the uncertainty they now face. It's Monday, October eighteen. Hey, Anu. Hey. How are you? I'm good. Welcome to the 7am studio. (laughs) Thank
1: you. It's weird being on this side of the mic.
0: (laughs) It's going to be great. Um, Maybe we could
1: start by you telling me a bit about why you wanted to do this story. So when Kabul fell to the Taliban in August, I'd been speaking to people on the ground in Afghanistan who were desperately trying to flee and evacuate, and I knew that the Australian government had evacuated about 4,000 people. And I'd been wondering where they were at and wanted to speak with them about what it was like to resettle here in Melbourne. So I got in touch with one person who had just gotten out of hotel quarantine around the corner from our office...
2: Uh, my name is Noor um, Muhammad Ramazan. Ramazan is my last name. So. And his name is Noor.
0: Okay, so can you tell me a bit about who Noor is? What do we know about his life up to this point?
1: Noah grew up in Mazar-e-Sharif in northern Afghanistan, and he's from the Hazara ethnic group. And when I asked him how old he was, he actually said that he doesn't know. He doesn't know when his birth date is or what year he was born. So he estimates he's probably about 34 or 35 years old.
2: Yeah, so normally, as I said earlier, if you ask my mom about my birth date, she only knows that it was a Soviet war going on everywhere in Afghanistan. And she remembers that it was cold and she remembers that she had pain in her body and I was born. And
1: now he's married. He has a five-year-old son and a five-month-old daughter. And all his life he's seen conflict in Afghanistan. Uh, it was
2: a very difficult and tough childhood, unfortunately. Um since I remember, since I was born, I remember every time there's something happening in Afghanistan. He
1: told me that as a kid he worked some really tough jobs and one of them was working in the poppy fields producing opium.
2: And working at the opium field goes back to 1998 when um, I was like uh, 11 or 12 years old when Taliban took over mazar sharif my city. And
1: in 2001, when the US invaded Afghanistan, the Taliban were taken from power and Noor was then able to learn English and he then started working as a tour guide.
2: Basically, I was a very patriotic person. I really liked my country and I was feeling honoured to show the beauties of Afghanistan.
1: And as a tour guide, Noor was working with foreigners quite regularly, um, which wasn't something that the Taliban looked upon favourably.
2: So... I was not believing that Taliban is going to take over Afghanistan, but unfortunately they took over all the gates of mazar sharif
1: And so when the Taliban returned to power, he was in trouble and he knew that his family needed to get out. Mm. So that was back in August when the
0: Taliban returned to power in Afghanistan. It was this very swift takeover. A lot of people were taken by surprise and there were many people who worked out that they needed to leave the country immediately and were trying to get out. Can you tell me about how Noor went about this? How did he approach trying to escape with his family?
1: I mean, it was a mad scramble at that time. I think Noor was definitely, like everyone else in Afghanistan, getting in touch with foreign friends.
2: And all of my international friends were very worried about me, especially the clients that I guided them in Afghanistan.
1: But it was actually an Australian woman named Sharon who had been a tourist in Afghanistan in 2019 who helped him out.
0: But I'd started thinking, well, you know, is there some way I could help, you know, Noor and his family get to Australia?
2: Sharon was worried and she said, Noor, like, everywhere has fallen into the hands of Taliban. When are you going to get out? Do you need help? What should I do? And so I I
0: thought to contact my friend, Senator Janet Rice, that I've known um, for like 30 years or something. I used to work with her many years ago to see if she knew what the Australian government was doing and was there any way um, she could help.
1: It just so crazily happened to be that Sharon was good friends with Green Senator Janet Rice.
0: Both myself and her were talking to the uh, crisis centre that had been set up Uh, by the Ministry of Foreign Affairs
2: and Trade.
1: And within about a day, she was able to get him a confirmation letter that said to go to Kabul, go to the northern gate, and he'll be able to get on an evacuation flight.
2: It took just a day for everything to get confirmed. Very soon, everything happened very quick. Uh, So with the last ever flight from Mazar to Kabul, uh, I flew to Kabul...
1: But when he got there, it was just absolute chaos. There were thousands of people all trying to get to the Northern Gate. He told me that people were dying from dehydration, just sheer force of humans pushing.
2: I I thought, we're going to lose our children here. And then, I mean, a, a feeling of fear just rushed through me. And then I thought that... And I, and I thought I cannot go into the airport. I was trying to keep myself motivated because I was losing hope. So I just wanted to be on the other side of the wall, just on the other side of the wall. And I was just telling to myself, on the other side of the wall, it's Australia out there, it's safety, and, and it's uh, it's peace out there.
1: And after two days of trying and trying, they finally got to the gate.
2: All the time when I think at this point, I automatically remember... The government of Australia and the soldiers, how hard they were working out there to help people. So he spoke to the Australian soldier who was at the gate. He
1: was very luckily on that list that the Australian government had. And the following night at midnight, they were able to get on the evacuation flight.
0: Okay, so Noor and his family, they managed to get onto this flight with the Australian Army. They're en route to Melbourne. At this moment in time, how much do they actually know about where they're going? What do they imagine that Australia is
1: like? Yeah, so when I asked Noor what he knew about Australia, he didn't know that
2: much. In fact, he thought it was a bit of a fantasy land. Australia, to me, looked more like a fairy tale, a land of fairy tales. And
1: it was a place that kind of didn't exist because people died trying to get there.
2: Tons of people from Afghanistan, they lost their life. They sold all they their belongings. They started migrating. They crossed the borders illegally to to come to Australia. It was a land of happiness and lack of chances and luck for people. But almost none of them made it to Australia.
1: And so he really never ever thought in his life that he would make it to
2: Australia, this fairy
1: tale land.
2: They were stacked in India. They were stacked in Indonesia. Some of my friends that I know, some of my neighbours, some of my relatives, uh, I heard lots of stories about people dying between the waters, between Indonesia to Australia. I know lots of people from my village who died on the way to Australia. So...
0: What happened to him then when he did manage to get here along with his family when they landed in Melbourne?
1: Yeah, as soon as they arrived at Melbourne Airport, they were told about COVID-19 and they were told that they had to do two weeks hotel quarantine. So there were a lot of things that would have been quite shocking to him and his family, not only COVID-19 and this new world that they were in. But also, at that time, they didn't really know how long their visa was for or what their future looked like in Australia. And it was, in fact, in hotel quarantine that he saw on the news that this temporary visa
2: that he was on was only for three months. I'm not sure what's going to happen next. Um, uh, It's after three months now, almost one month is over. We'll be back in a moment.
0: As a a 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read POST, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarizing each of their key points with links to full articles from a range of sources. Get the news you need to your inbox every weekday morning with POST. Anu, you've been talking to Noor, he recently arrived from Afghanistan, but he discovered that the visa that he's been granted, it's short term, at the moment, it only allows him to stay here in Australia for three months. Why is that?
1: Yeah, when Noor told me that he was on this very short-term visa, I wanted to figure out what the visa entails and what were the opportunities for him to stay longer. Um, I spoke with Arif Hussein, a lawyer at the Refugee Advice and Casework Service.
2: After Kabul fell, we were getting um, in the first week, you know, close to a few hundred calls um, a day or... Uh, up to 100 calls in the first week, every single day.
1: And he's been working in the front line, speaking with people on the ground in Afghanistan and people who've just arrived from Afghanistan.
0: Right now, I'm not sure why the government hasn't provided more information uh, about how they will continue treating this uh, cohort that they evacuated on 449 visas.
1: Arif actually told me that This isn't the first time that this visa has been used.
2: This visa
0: was used to evacuate people uh, from Kosovo during that crisis.
1: This visa was introduced by Howard when they had a similar evacuation where they evacuated Kosovars from Kosovo, which was a civil war in 1998 and ended in
0: 1999. And so what happened to those people, the ones who came to Australia, back in the 90s, on the same visa that these
1: current refugees from Afghanistan are on. So at that time, the Howard government um, appeared to be magnanimous in that they allowed 3,900 refugees to come to Australia, but it was very temporary. At the time, there was a lack of legal provisions around whether they could be prevented from going back to Kosovo. And so the Kosovars were repatriated Back to their country after two months. Some fought to stay in Australia and the case went up to the High Court and, you know, the UNHCR described it as an induced repatriation and at least 21 of those people were then sent to Port Hedland, which was a detention centre back then. It got to the point where, you know, security guards at the detention centre were guarding them off. There were hunger strikes It was a real struggle, and a lot of these refugees didn't want to go back. Ultimately, only about 121 were permitted to stay, but that was citing medical conditions. Right. So, is the fear that something similar could
0: happen now? That these people, these Afghan refugees who were accepted in a moment of crisis when the Taliban took over, that they could end up not being allowed to stay in Australia? That, like the Kosovars, they might be repatriated back just a few months after managing to escape.
1: Yeah, pretty much at the moment because the Australian government hasn't made any announcement about what's going to happen to these people, there's the risk that they're within their grounds to repatriate them back unless they're given permanent residency. But Afghanistan is absolutely not safe to go back to, especially for people like Noah who have shown the Taliban that they're willing to evacuate and that they're willing to go to Australia. For them to be sent back, they will definitely be targeted and
2: especially as a Hazara person, he will be even further persecuted. When I was here in Australia, I found the Taliban are looking for me and my brother. My brother was working for my company out there as a tour guide. Now Taliban are looking for us. So, you
1: know, by evacuating people like Noor, the Australian government has acknowledged that they're in great danger. So now the moral obligation is to provide permanent protection.
0: And how are Noor and his family feeling about all of this? And how are they going? I suppose more generally, they've probably left quarantine now, they're in Melbourne, how are they finding it?
1: I mean, Noor and his family are so grateful to be here. And, you know, Noor's dream is to study English literature at university and he has dreams for his kids to be educated here and to go to kindergarten and to find a permanent home. Like, they they have all the hope in the world and they hope that they can celebrate his birthday in Melbourne.
2: I also tell my son that we're in a nice country and we need to appreciate Australia all the time, that Australia gave us home. Australia gave us safety here gave us food here, you know, accommodation here. In general Australia gave us a new life and they welcomed us into its beautiful big arm and I am trying to explain all of this to my son
0: Anu, thank you so much for your time and for talking to me about all of this. Thanks Ruby From The Saturday Paper comes The Food, a free weekly newsletter featuring curated recipes from some of the country's leading chefs, including Andrew McConnell, Otama Carey, David Moyle and Karen Martini. Cook what they cook by subscribing today at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters.
2: Also in the news today... Victoria's Premier Daniel Andrews has announced Melbourne's lockdown will end at midnight this Thursday. Restrictions will ease earlier than planned as the state looks set to hit the 70% vaccination target later this week. Households will be able to host up to 10 visitors per day, while 15 people will be allowed to gather outdoors. The travel limit and curfew will be scrapped, and hospitality venues will be able to open for indoor service, but only for up to 20 fully vaccinated customers. And the federal health minister, Greg Hunt, has announced that the federal government is in discussions with Singapore about opening a travel bubble between the two countries. I'm Osman Faruqi. This is 7am. See you tomorrow for the headlines.